Okay, we're going to go into week three of a four-week series entitled Extravagant Love. This is the series that we're dealing with. And um, today's message is the greatest of these is love. The message is the greatest of these is love. Now, I'm really excited about this message today because I believe that you're going to be blessed with what God is going to say through his word. This is a great word. I'm really excited about this, and I really believe that something wonderful will happen for all of us. I, I think you may know this, but our population is somewhere around a little bit more than 7 billion people. 7 billion people are on this planet. And every one of those people, every one of those 7 billion, whoever they may be, every one of those people have their own perspective and their own view about God. So let me share with you just a couple of perspectives that typically they have. The first one, the first area is, is that there are those who are claiming to be atheists. And what they think is that there is no such thing as God. They don't believe that there's a God. Then the, uh, the other is the agnostic. The agnostic said that God is unknowable. Then there comes the, the religious. The religious are those who, who, uh, who believe in God is only in any way, shape, or form present in and through religious things and places. In other words, there's no real relationship with God, but the way God shows himself up is in places and in things. Then there's the ignorant, the ignorant. The ignorant are those who are unaware and are lacking in knowledge, uninformed with anything concerning God. And then there's the seeker. I love the seekers. I really do. Then there's the seeker out there. Uh, they, sense that, they sense that there's a, a void, there's a need somehow, somewhere in their life. And even though things are good, even though things are moving forward, uh, things are going well, their health is good, their finances are good, work is good, family is good, they know something's missing. Something is missing in their life. And then they go on a journey, the journey that I love that they do. They go on that journey to find, find what is missing in their life, and so many of them end up finding God. Because God has created every one of us. And he has a purpose and a plan for every one of us. And for you and I who may be missing something right now, more than likely it would be God himself. And you need to draw close to him. You need to draw close to him. And then of course there's the believer. The other area that we're talking about is the believer. The believer uh, who, who is the follower of Jesus. I want to give you a stat that comes from Gordon Conwell Theological Seminary, uh, their global ministries for 2019. Here's what they say is the population of Christianity within our world in 2019. It is 2,528,295,000 who are believers. Who are believers. Let me say that number again. They, with their statistics, prove that there are some 2 billion 528 million 295,000 who what Jesus calls are called the church. The church. Now, it's not about a denomination. It's not about anything like that. It's for those of us. You're the church. I'm the church. And so this is what, what we see here is that there are those who are a part of what we know to be the church. And with all of those people, there is a perception or a view about the characteristic and the personality of our God. Let me say that again. I want you to listen. We're going to go a little bit deep, so I want you to listen to me. With all of those people in this world, there is a, there is a perception, a view about the characteristic and the personality of who our God is. And in a very broad sense, in a very broad sense, for those outside of the church... For those outside of the church, the unbeliever, 
the one who is, is maybe even a seeker, they don't know God yet. By the way, that number seems to be somewhere around 4.1 billion people. 4.1 billion people who, have, who are outside the church, they typically view God by how they were treated, how they have been treated by those who claim to know God. And unfortunately, with so many of them, it's not a good story. It's not a happy ending because they feel that they have been misused and abused in some way or another so often with Christians. And then for the inside of the church, for those who are believers, for those who are Christian, their view of God, their view of God is inspired by typically their denomination. Whatever church they're going to, and you don't have to go to church in order to get to heaven. Amen, Randy, you, you're right. I, I didn't want to agree with you, but you're right. Show me one scripture that says going to church is going to get you to heaven. Show me one. There's none. So um, the, the people who are inside the church, the believer, the Christian, their view of God is inspired by their denomination, their affiliation, typically speaking. So some of those insiders perceive God's character, God's personality based on typically, typically their religious affiliation who view God as, let me give you a few views of God that so many within the church have about God. Some view God as being judgmental. Some who are believers and followers of Jesus, and certainly those who are outside of the church, outside of God, they would, they would have a thought that the God that we serve is somewhat judgmental. In other words, he seems to be angry. <laughs> he's, he's angry. He's hot. He's mad. There's fire and brimstone coming from his eyes and, and turn or burn. That's what they think of God sometimes. There's others who view God as being mysterious. In other words, God is so deep. He is so deep to unlock all the mysteries about God can, uh, can only happen by great expositors of the word of God. And then there are those who would consider God to be more of a crusader, the primary objective of God for, as being a crusader is for the poor and the needy and to, to correct all injustice. And then there are those who, who would view God as being prophetic, the prophetic, dealing with the prophetic. And some of that would mean for where, where, God's primary, uh, where God is primarily about future events, whether they would be good or bad, and then to correct all the wrongs and bring judgment on those who would rebel against God. And then there are those who would view God's personality as being the responder. In other words, where God would respond to our faith, where, where God would react only to what we believe him for, and who would provide for those who have that faith to trust God to do it. And then last but not least is the Pentecostal. We're a Pentecostal church. The Assemblies of God is a Pentecostal denomination. And uh, the Pentecostal, their primary, they are primarily about signs and wonders, primarily about the supernatural, the miraculous that would be happening, the power and the presence of God, all caught up into God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And they live in a very deep relationship with their God. And in my humble opinion, there, there is an element of God, uh, the person of God and the character of God, in my opinion, with those, that list that I just read to you, um, is, is in some of all of that. There is some of the God that we serve in all of that. That, that is true and that, that is accurately. But unfortunately for both the insiders and the outsiders, most of us don't know or realize that there is still one truth. There is still one virtue. 
There is still one gift that reigns supreme over all the rest of God's character and personality. What defines God best? What characterizes God best? What most accurately describes God? What reigns supreme in and through our God? Well, I'll give you a scripture where I believe it shows us and tells us, and it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we hope that you have uh, ways to be able to use your own personal equipment to go along with this, but if nothing else, you can see it all projected on the screen behind me. And it says these words in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, which is the love chapter, verse 13, and, and Paul says, and now abide faith, hope, and love. These three, but the greatest of these, say it with me, is love. The greatest of these is love. Now, the love that we're talking about is not the love of this world. It's not the love of our society. It's not the love that our, our culture wants to communicate with us. It's not what we're living in, that kind of love that we're living in typically day to day because that kind of love seems to me, and you may find me to be judgmental, but it seems to be more just about me. The love that the world offers us is all about me. Let me have my needs met. Let me, you know, the me thing. And, uh, and the world's love just falls so far short of the God, our God's love that we're talking about today. I'm talking about God's love. It's a supernatural love. That, that God himself has. God's love is from another realm. God's love is from another domain. God's love is from another kingdom. You see, God does not merely express love. God does not merely feel love because God is love. Let me say that again. God does not merely express love or feel love, but God is love. Therefore, God always acts in the consistency, the context of his, of his character which means which is in which is in and through and by his love everything he does everything he does is through and by his love and the love that the greeks talk about that describes god the best is called agape love agape love and agape love means that god's love is unconditional his love for you, for me, for the seven billion plus people on the planet today, for all the history of mankind, past, present, and future. God's love is unconditional. God's love is relentless. It is persistent. It is aggressive. God's love does not take, uh, does not take no for an answer. It will remain. This is how our God functions. God is love. God loves this is how God functions. This is how he does what he does, is that God is love and God loves. God loves every single human being on the planet. For God so loved the world, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And whoever would believe in him will not perish but have everlasting life. What an amazing promise and truth God gives us. And God will not stop loving you. He will not. Do you know why? <laughs> Because he can't. Because God is love. He can't stop loving you. He can't stop loving me. How amazing. How ridiculous. How extensive. How extraordinary the love of God really is. We believe here at Word of Life Church, we believe that our God, he is omnipotent, omniscient, and omnipresent. When we talk about God being omnipotent, we mean he is 
all-powerful. There is no power greater. He is all-powerful. We, we, we believe that he is omniscient. He is om, uh, omniscient. He is all-knowing. And we also believe that our God is omnipresent, which means that he is present everywhere. Let me, for just a few moments, talk about the, the second one, where God is omniscient, where he is all-knowing. Let me cover that with you. Our God is all-knowing. That means he is all-knowing of the past. He is all-knowing of the present. And he is all-knowing of the future. So that means, listen now, listen, don't lose me. That means that our God knows your past. God knows your present. And God knows your future. And I want to let you know, my friend, whatever your past may be like right now, God knows your past. That's what it means when he is om, om, omniscient. Um, God knows our past. That means that his love for you and I will not change one bit. Not one bit. It won't change at all. His love for you, no matter what your past may be, it will not change a bit. Not only our past, but our future. I mean, I don't know how much longer I have on this planet. I'm hoping for a few more years, but God only knows. And the fact of the matter is, between now and then for Randy Chiz, I hate to disappoint you, but I'm going to sin, I'm sure. I'm going to say something, do something that I'm going to regret that was wrong against God's word, and I'm going to have to repent. Now, if every time Randy Chiz sins, which is, never mind, I'm not going to talk about that, but if I have to go through that process every single time. It's not because what God does for us, what God does for us, his love for us never changes. He is love. He is love. And his love never changes us, changes. God is so gracious. God is so loving. God is so pure. Listen to this. He will never inflict your past on your present. Think about that. God is so gracious, God is so loving, God is so pure. He will never inflict your past. I don't know about your past. Some of you have shared that with me. Some of you know my past because I'm sometimes very transparent and I tell you about my past. But the fact of the matter is, he will never inflict your past on your present. You're here in this room right now and you're here believing that what God says is in his word is for you. And he will never inflict your future on your, presence, on your present either. So how extensive, how extraordinary his love is. God's love is present. God's love is present. God won't inflict your past on your present. There's only one who does that. And that's the devil of hell. He is the accuser of the brethren. And he will always remind you of that sin, that thing that you said you wouldn't do anymore and you're still doing it. The enemy will continue to do that. But go with me to Psalm 103. These are, this is, these are some of my favorite verses in all the Bible. Psalm 103, verses one through five. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits. We're talking about the benefits of God for us who deserve nothing. Who forgives all of our iniquities, all of your iniquities. Who heals all your diseases. Who redeems your life from destruction. Who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies. Listen, who satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like eagles. And it goes on to say in verses 11 and 12, and it says, 
For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward those who fear him. Verse 12, as far as the east is from the west, listen to me, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Don't tell me a single sin that you've done. But if you were to tell me a single sin that you have committed and it is the most disgusting, the most frustrating thing you've ever done in your life, nobody knows but you. If you would confess that sin to God, if you would ask him to forgive you of that sin, the Bible says in Psalm 103, as far as the east is from the west, God will remember that sin no more. Come on, let's give the Lord a round of applause. That is so good. That is so good. Wow. Isaiah 43, and it says these words, 43, 25. I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remembers your sins no more is what God's word declares to us. His love is ready to forgive right now. For any of us, believer or non-believer alike who are in this room today, for any of us who have come into this room with sin, my friend, you can walk out of here without it. You don't need to carry that sin any longer. You and I can be and are free of that. No matter, no matter who you are, what you've done, you can be forgiven. If you would just seek God with his grace and mercy and ask him to forgive you. He will never inflict your past on your future, never. You can seek his forgiveness right now, right where you're sitting. You can whisper with your lips if you want and just say, God, forgive me for that. Forgive me for that. Forgive me for that. Just get back into the service here sooner or later after all the that you may be dealing with. 1 John 1, 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. We have to confess it. I have to admit the times when I sin. Sometimes I have to tell my wife the sin I've committed against her. Sometimes my kids. I did that with my kids. I got a lot of stories I could tell you about that, but we're not going to go there. If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just. One of the most incredible stories in the Bible in the New Testament of the extravagant love of God is found in uh, Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7. You can turn to a boat. I'm not going to be specific in any particular scriptures. I'm going to tell the story more than read the scriptures on this. And I'm going to tell you uh, right up front that some of you, uh, many of you have heard me over the years speak about this particular story, and you're going to get another version of it all. The story begins, the, in Luke chapter 7, the story begins with a Pharisee. You want to know what a Pharisee is? In my opinion, he's a religious bigot. A Pharisee, in my opinion, is, is a, a stick in the mud, a religious kind of religious guy. But anyhow, this story starts out with a Pharisee by the name of Simon, and he's going to have a party, and he invites Jesus to the party. <laughs> he invites Jesus to the party. Now, what I love about this, let me just do a timeout with the story, and let me just capitalize on something else with all of this, because um, w what I love about this particular story is that the Bible records that our Jesus, who has redeemed us and saved us, goes to parties. <laughs> he goes to parties. <laughs> In fact, I have a statement I wrote out. Jesus will always show up whenever he is invited because he's not a party pooper. And I really believe that. I say it again. Jesus will always show up wherever he's invited because he's not a party pooper. Do you know how important this is for us to know that Jesus will go to a party? Do you understand some of the depth and the dimension? Let me just explain it to you very quickly. Jesus will always show up wherever he is invited. And you need to know that. You need to know that. I don't care if you're driving in a car. I don't care where you are. 
He will show up if you invite him. No matter where you may be, no matter where you are, you may be even someone who is here today who doesn't even know if there is a Jesus really, and you're telling me if I invite him, he's gonna come? Oh yeah, I'm, I'm telling you that. If you truly invite Jesus, he will come. He will come. And you see that over and over in the scriptures, over and over in the Bible. And let me just tell you something else that some of you are not gonna be happy that I'm gonna say this. And that is, it doesn't matter to Jesus where your address is. It doesn't matter to Jesus what's going on at that party. And it doesn't matter to Jesus if there's booze, drugs, sexual immorality, or gambling going on in the party. It doesn't matter to God. Oh, it matters to church people. <laughs> it, it, matters to, it matters to religious people. It matters to holy people. But to Jesus, he just doesn't care. He just doesn't care what's going on. Do you want to know why? Because the greatest of these is love. The greatest of these is love. In other words, his love is unconditional. <clears throat> Jesus went to the party. You're going to hear about it in just a moment. Jesus went to the party, and it's because he was invited. I want to let you know, my friend, if you ever invite Jesus for anything, to God, that is the single most important thing you could do with God is that if you would invite him in, if you would invite him, he will show up no matter who you are, no matter what your address is, no matter what may be going on in your life. Because he loves you. His love for you is greater than all of a sudden saying, mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. Not gonna do that. Not going there, not a part of that. That will never happen with our God. Listen, that is why we put so much, we put so much into our worship time here at Word of Life. And I don't know about you, but I think our worship team needs a round of applause. They, man, oh man, man. Our singers, musicians, and tech guys, they all work together, and what a team. But anyhow, uh, this is why we put so much into our worship time at Word of Life at the beginning of our service, because the Bible is crystal clear, Old Testament, New Testament alike, that God dwells among the praises of his people. And that means that people like you, people like me, when we, when we begin to worship God, when we begin to sing the songs, when we begin to lift our hands, when we begin to clap our hands before the Lord, maybe when we whistle, that's me whistling every now and then. <laughs> Uh, you know, it's, I just love whistling for God. I, I, I don't want to go down that road. And, and, uh, and also the fact that maybe some of us would like to do the jig. You don't want to watch me do the jig because I'll trip and fall. But, but anyhow, the reason why we do all of that is because the Bible says, <coughs> the Bible says that our praise to God is an invitation for God to come and to dwell um, personally and corporately with us. When we are worshiping God, that worship is a sign from God. It's a green light. They're inviting me in. They want me to come. They want me to be with them. So when we worship God, our praise is that invitation. And we want, we want that to happen here at Word of Life every single Sunday. I don't want to come and just have a church service and go home. I want God to meet with me. I want God to speak to me. I want to hold, uh, hold you and tell you that I love you and all those other things that we would do. We want his presence, his power, his promises to be manifest among us. Jesus will always show up. He will always show up wherever he is invited. So Jesus is at this dinner party. And this no-name woman all of a sudden crashes the party. And even though no one mentions her name, <coughs> it's not mentioned anywhere in the scriptures. No one mentions her name. <clears throat> Everybody knows that she has a reputation. <clears throat> she has a bad reputation. 
Many scholars believe, I do have water here, so let me take a quick sip. Anybody want a sip? <clears throat> Many scholars believe, and tradition also teaches, that this particular woman is a prostitute. Some can argue against that. I don't know if I 100% agree with that because of some other things, but let's just leave it as that now, we, that this lady is a prostitute. And this lady enters into this party <clears throat> with an alabaster alabaster is a, a box. It is something that's going to contain something. So she comes in with this alabaster jar of perfume, which by the way is very, very, very expensive perfume. What she's coming in with is something that's very, very, uh, very um, expensive. <clears throat> so there's four things that she does. Four things when she walks into this room. When, when she walks in, she, first of all, she stops and she stands before Jesus and begins to weep. That was number one. Secondly, uh, and as she's weeping, her tears are falling on the feet of Jesus. Number two, number two, she wiped his feet with her hair. Now get this in your head. This is a woman who wasn't invited to the party. She shows up. She walks in. Jesus is in there. Everybody knows Jesus. Miracles are happening like crazy. They know who he is. And she walks up and she stands before Jesus and she's weeping. And as she's weeping before Jesus, the tears of, Je of her are falling on the feet of Jesus. And the third thing she does is, uh, is that she wiped the feet. No, the second thing is, is she wiped his feet with her hair. Now get that in your head. She wiped her feet with her hair and then she kissed his feet. The third thing is she kissed his feet. And then the fourth and final thing she does is that then she takes that, that costly perfume and pour that on the feet of Jesus. First of all, that's weird. All four of those things are very weird to Randy Chiz. And secondly, I think it's rather intense. I think that's a pretty intense thing for her to do. Obviously, obviously she's crossed the path with Jesus somewhere. She, she heard him preach. Maybe, she, maybe uh, Jesus spoke to her. Maybe he healed her of something. Who, we, we don't have the history, but for whatever reason, she knew she had to come to Jesus. And without saying a word, without saying a word, all she knows is, is that through Jesus, her life has been forever changed. That's all that she knows. The encounter, whatever she saw or heard that Jesus would do, she, all she knows right now is that her life has been forever changed. And the Bible tells us, this is arrogant, but the Bible tells us that Simon the Pharisee, told you who he was, was totally disgusted totally disgusted with this woman, this fact that she came into this party, and then they were all, he, he, Simon is disgusted with the fact that, the, uh, that uh, Jesus equally didn't, didn't become disgusted with her. You know, he, they, he was mad that Jesus didn't do that. In fact, let me just read it to you. It'll probably make more sense. In Isaiah, in Isaiah, not Isaiah, is it Isaiah? Where am I in the Bible? Luke 7, that's where I'm at. Come on, Jesus. Luke 7, verse 39. Now when the Pharisee who had, I got my vacation still in my head. I got to get serious here. Now when, my, now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw all of this, saw this woman, saw what she did, and then watched Jesus respond to all of that, uh, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, if he was truly a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. She is a sinner. Hey, man, listen to me. Every one of you, please, listen to me with what I've got to say. Jesus knew what sort of woman she was. 
He knew when she walked into the door, not because she had a cigarette hanging out of her mouth, not because she had a beer, not any of that stuff. She, he, he knew who this woman was. He knew that this was a woman who had some issues. So let me just go a little bit deeper with you. Jesus knows what sort of man you are too. Jesus knows what sort of woman you are too. Jesus knows what sort of teenager you are too. But it doesn't matter to God. It doesn't matter to God who we are or what we've done. Why? Because, because God's love for every person is always an unconditional love. As we began worship today and you began to feel his presence and maybe God whispered to you, maybe God touched you, who knows what may have happened between you and God during our time of worship and even maybe with the word that's being said as God speaks to you. It doesn't matter what you've done this last week, this day, what, what may be happening later. His love for you and I is always unconditional. So two things that blow me away and we'll get out of here. Two things blow me away about Jesus' love in this story. The first is, it's incredible to me. It's incredible to me that she presented, to, she presented that perfume to Jesus, first and foremost. So let's just say she is a prostitute. We don't know for sure. But she presents to Jesus a perfume, a perfume. And Jesus was not the least bit offended by her presenting that perfume to him. And I say that because, I say that because that perfume, that perfume is what she wore to attract men in her line of work. That perfume was on her dresser, in her bedroom, where she committed her sexual sin over and over and over and over again. That perfume was the vital part of who she was and how she could, how could she even afford it unless she would continue in her profession over and over and over again until she would finally have enough finances to pay for that perfume. This woman brought something to Jesus that re represented her sinful past. And she broke it open and poured it all out on the feet of Jesus, the Redeemer. And Jesus, because of, because of you and your love for me, is what she's saying. Because of you and your love for me, you have forgiven me of my sin. And she's pouring out that perfume on the feet of Jesus. I want to share with you very quickly a story. I will, it will be quick. Quick story about West Point. For those of you who don't know, I was a chaplain at West Point from 87 to 92 and of, of this last century. <laughs> and um, makes me feel really old now. And um, there was a home, we, we were right on the Hudson River. Not only was I a chaplain at West Point, but we planted a church in Highland Falls, New York. And and the church itself was directly across the Walter Hoving home. Uh, some people in our church have been to the Walter Hoving home. It's a home for women, and it's incredible, incredible how they are able to help women get over some of the issues of their lives. And uh, <clears throat> the founders of the Walter Hoving home is John and Elsie uh, Benson, lovingly known and called by everybody, mom and dad. Uh, everybody loved the Bensons. And what they would do typically just about every day, I don't know if it was every day, but just about every day, they would take up their 15-passenger van, two or three of them, and they would go into the heart of New York City, and they would be looking for prostitutes. And all they would do is pull up next to them, open up the door, and say, if you want to be set free of this, jump in the car, we'll take you and help you. 
and there would be van loads, van loads of women that would jump into the car and end up going with them to the Walter Hoving home. Um, it, and their broken lives would begin to be rebuilt. Their shattered lives would be rebuilt as a result of this Christian rehab center for women. And what blessed Marianne and I so much, what just blessed us, what was so moving for each of us was at our church at West Point, Highland Falls, our church in Highland Falls, um, that church had the elite of the elite in that church periodically. Sometimes we had some of the highest ranking officers that would visit our small little church. And uh, they, high ranking officers and their families, we would have an average anywhere from 30 to 40 to 50 to 60 or more cadets that would be bussed in. They would, vans would bring them to our church. Um, different vans would bring them to our church and many of them would be bust, bust in. And then we would find many military families at Highland Falls Assembly of God. But listen to this, please listen to this. There would be no less than two van loads of women that would come, prostitutes. The majority of them were prostitutes. There would be no less than two van loads that would come to our small little church. And uh, when they would come in, all of a sudden you would, if you would just watch the response of the people, the high-ranking officers, the, the military, the, the cadets, all of the different ones that were a part of that, the civilians, like I was a civilian. It was incredi- incredible to me how the people of Highland Falls would just welcome these ladies with unconditional love. It was with un- the compassion that they had. And I want to let you know, man, when they came off the streets, they were, they were bruised. They were beaten. They were absolutely distraught with their lives. And these, these people would welcome these ladies with unconditional love. The staff of the Walter Hoving Home just couldn't believe how receiving these people were in Highland Falls Assembly of God Church. They just couldn't believe it. And they would just have more and more girls coming our way. And uh, it was just incredible. The, the staff of Walter Hoving Home had declared over and over again how blessed they were and how moved on they had been by the people of Highland Falls. We had some really deep relationships with these ladies. We, well, Marianne and I, our kids would be babysat at the Walter Hoving home with, with the girls. They would babysit our kids. Had four kids that were all younger. I think our oldest at that time was like about 15, 16. And uh, just, just incredible things. And it was that unconditional love that was changing the lives of these girls. And this is Jesus, in my opinion, this is somewhat the same as it was with Jesus. As it was with Jesus. I think I just lost my note. Hold on. Oh, my Lord. Sometimes, Randy, you really upset me. Now, I moved this one out of the way, and I was preaching from this one right here that says, right here, I'm there, I'm back. <laughs> ay, ay, ay. Look at all my notes. Look at all this stuff. I've been doing it this way all my life. But anyhow, anyhow, Jesus was not the least bit offended, and Jesus accepted that perfume as an act of repentance that would forever, forever change this woman's life. Luke chapter 7, verse 48, and it says these words, and he said to her, your sins are forgiven. It blows my mind that Jesus would go through all of that and look at that woman and say to her, your sins have been forgiven. Jesus accepted that perfume as that sacrifice. Number two, the second thing that blew my mind with Jesus, and that is, and Jesus was never once inflicted. He never once inflicted her past on her present. In other words, you can look in the scriptures yourself if you'd like, but you're not going to see Jesus saying anything about her. He doesn't tell anybody who she is or what she does. He doesn't say a thing. He doesn't say, hey, hey, you guys, listen to me. Listen to what this woman has done all of her life. 
Instead, what Jesus says is found in Luke chapter 7, verse 50. And Jesus says, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. That's what Jesus said. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And it would be Mark, Mark who, who in his apostle, he writes in that and he says, this woman's expression of love and repentance will be told for every generation to come. Why? God, why? Why would you do something like that? Why would you, why would you have that kind of, of acceptance to this particular person? Listen, what kind of love this is, it's illogical. It, it, it's, it's amazing. It's ridiculous love. It's an extraordinary love. He would, he would know uh, this woman's sinful past. He would accept her perfume as an act of her repentance. And her expression of love and repentance would be told to generations to come. And it's because God's love is now. God's love is now. For her, for then, at that particular time, God's love was for her right then. And there's a response to it all that I think we need to be open to to receive. Go with me to Matthew chapter 4, verse 23, and it says, And he went throughout all of Galilee teaching. This is about talking about Jesus. Jesus teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. Listen, listen, listen and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. This is talking about our Savior, our God. This is such an incredible, incredible verse. Can you imagine? It is 100% true and accurate that Jesus is in Galilee and he is healing every disease and every affliction of the people who would show up. That would mean to me is that Jesus would heal the good people. Because us good people deserve it. But not only does God heal the good people, but God heals the bad people too. Bad people who could end up doing bad things later after they've, after they've been healed by Jesus. Why would Jesus do that? Because God's love is now. God's love is now. Jesus healed and Jesus loved people, bad people. Jesus loved ungrateful people. In Luke chapter 17, another real quick story, another wonderful story. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, and as he's passing through Galilee, he enters a certain village, and as he does, ten men, ten men who are lepers stand afar off, and they begin to, the Bible says, and they began to shout, and they would say something like this, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And Jesus stops and he looks toward them. And Jesus simply says to these men, listen to these words. Jesus says, go and show yourself to the priest. Go and show yourself to the priest. Now, the reason why he said that is because the priest would be, would be the only ones who would be able to declare that the leper is clean so that they can get back into their society and begin to live a normal life again. And the Bible specifically says that as they went, the 10 lepers, they were cleansed. A miracle took place as they were walking away from Jesus. The miracle took place. All 10 of them were instantly healed. And even though, please listen, even though Jesus is all-knowing, he healed all 10 at once, also knowing that there would be a tremendously small representation or or a percentage who would come back and even say thank you. Out of the 10, there was only one 
there was only one who would come back and say to Jesus, I was done. It was over for me. And the Bible says that he fell on his face at the feet of Jesus and loudly said, thank you. Thank you for what you've done. And as I consider all of that for us here, I still wonder, God, why would you do something like that? Knowing that these people would not come back to you and say thank you. Nine of them ran on their merry way and thank God they were healed and I don't think there was any, anything that would come against them because they didn't. But sometimes I think it's my story too. Jesus healed good people. He healed bad people. He healed ungrateful people. Jesus loved good people, bad people, ungrateful people. And what kind of love is this? Why did Jesus do that? Because God's love is right now. 1 Corinthians 13, 13 says these words. Now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. God's love is right now. We're here right now. God's love is always now. Because of his love is unconditional. It's relentless. It's extraordinary. His love will remain. When you walk out of here, he's not gonna walk away from you. God's love freely forgives us of our past sin. When we repent, Jesus loves sinful people. Go with me to Psalm 86, verse five. Listen to this. For you, Lord, are good and ready to forgive and abundant mercy is to all those who call upon you. Would you stand with me to your feet? My friend, as real as your pain is right now with whatever it is you're dealing with, God's ever-present is right here, right now for you too. For the real sickness or disease that may be you or a child or a friend or a family may be dealing with right now, God's love is present right now to heal you. Any darkness that may be in your life right now, Jesus said, come to me all of you who are labored and heavy laden and I'll give you rest. So what I wanna do is this. I have these intercessors who have been praying, ready to pray for you before you leave out of here. We're gonna sing one last song, and while we're singing the song, if you have something going on in your life right now, I'm gonna ask you to come down. You don't have to tell them what's going on. Just please pray for me. If you wanna just say cancer, if you wanna say my marriage, that's up to you. We're not looking for, we don't wanna know what's going on. We're not trying to get that. We just wanna pray for you. They wanna pray for you. So while that song is being done, we're gonna ask you to sing and worship with us. If you'd like prayer, if you'd like to pray with them, then I'm gonna ask you to, to do that as well. Please don't leave until we're, we're done with the song. It'll be about three minutes more and you'll be out of here.